Welcome back to season two of Flop Stars. In case you're new here, Flop Stars is the podcast where we look at projects by our favorite pop stars that underperformed on the charts but found a home with a cult group of fans. I'm Sam Murphy, the editor of The Interns, and I'm joined once again by Nick Kelly to delve into misunderstood projects. This week, we're looking at an icon. It's hard to attach the word flop to anything Beyonce has done, but her fourth album, Four, was an underwhelming performer commercially. While it failed to cling to the charts, though, it launched her into a new phase of her career. She felt liberated both in a business sense and artistically. What it gave way to was her most daring album yet, and one that still shines bright today. Yay, we're back. Hello, Nick. Mild mid-season hiatus. You know how all the um, all the big TV shows that were filming this year had to put on a bit of a mid-season hiatus after the pandemic struck? That's what we've been on the last few weeks, except everything has changed in the political system. I feel like we've been talking a lot about politics in the show, you know, to varying degrees over the journey. And now we're in this new yeah. new phase after the last couple of weeks. You're in New York. You're in the thick of it. How has it been the last little while? It's been amazing. I was going to say, yeah, we we ended um, with Robbie Williams' Rude Box and surprisingly everything changed for the better after that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you. feeling a lot, Thank you, feeling a lot better Williams. here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I knew Rudebox would do it. It was just the trick. <laughs> and now it feels like we're, go- we're moving into the next phase with an album that's just as iconic as Rudebox, I feel. <laughs> you could put these two artists, you could put these two records on, I suppose, the same kind of, yeah, the same kind of... I think so. Ba- yeah, the same podium is the it's, word I'm searching It's for. extraordinary they haven't duetted already, given both of their stature. Now, look, you know my thoughts on Robbie and you know my thoughts on his voice in particular. I think they'd be a tremendous duet. Oh, my God. I'm manifesting it. (laughs) Well, without further ado, we're finally taking on um, somebody who doesn't often feature in the same sentence as Flop, but we're going to go out on a limb here and we're going to call Beyonce's fourth album, appropriately titled Four, a flop. Yeah, and there's a few reasons why we'll do that. I think, um, in particular, the album did debut at number one, as does everything Beyonce over the journey. But it Classic wa- flop material. It, yeah. <laughs> it was her lowest sales start week of her career. So she sold a small portion in the first week of what she had the previous albums to that. And it was kind of yeah. seen commercially, despite its success of a couple of singles, um, and despite the fact that it actually was her first album to stay number one for two weeks, um, we're still going to... really? Yeah, which is quite bizarre. Wow. However, by very small margins and with very small yeah. sales across the board anyway, which was probably telling at the start. It was a slow week, and it was probably quite telling, you know, the way that music was starting to change in 2011 when this album came out. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. we're going to put it into the Flop Stars category. It had mixed reviews uh, uh, critically, but, of course, it has landed in our hearts, and some of the songs still go off today, which we'll explore. Yeah. It's a, it's a big record to explore and somebody like Beyonce isn't an easy task to explore. So um, please have patience with us as we navigate this tough subject. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got to ask before we jump in, 
were you a Beyonce fan in 2011? Would you have identified yourself as being a fan of Beyonce 10 years ago? So I have a I have a um interesting relationship with Beyonce, not a personal one, unfortunately. <laughs> um but I feel like I wasn't totally on board. Obviously like loved Destiny's Child, loved a few of the early singles. Um I thought B Day was really good. Crazy in Love drives me absolutely fucking mental. I can't stand it. Really? Um but I can appreciate that it's a big like mind-boggling song yeah um so actually when she got to four i don't know if i was completely like on board with what beyonce was doing but i knew that she was an important force in the industry and that whatever she put her name to was going to be well worth a listen but four actually completely turned me into a massive beyonce stan and i think everything she's done from four has been groundbreaking and four kind of laid the groundwork for her to be able to really shake things up because it's interesting to to think of a world where Beyonce isn't this godlike figure that everybody talks about but I don't think until four she was really getting that kind of like she didn't have that stature just yet and I think four really took her into the next the next phase of her career and I think, like, she headlined Glastonbury. Um, I think Girls Run the World was a really important feminist statement, regardless of how it went on the charts. And obviously she was free from her dad who'd managed her entire career. And she was start starting for the first time to do things her own way. And I think you see that all, all the bricks kind of coming together on four. What about you? Where were you with your... Stan Hood of Beyonce at this stage. You've summed up my thoughts very well retrospectively. So I very much look back at this era and see exactly what you're talking about. You know, this was the era post I Am Sasha Fierce and post that tour, she had some time to herself. She took a bit of a hiatus. It wasn't particularly long. It was about 12 to 18 months where she kind of didn't tour, release music or speak at all. Um, And then she kind of, going into this album, sort of realised that that Sasha Fierce character that she'd embodied over the previous couple of albums, and in particular on I Am Sasha Fierce, was kind of her anyway. And she kind of merged the two and she took those really, you know, fierce, bold elements from the Sasha Fierce character, placed them into the Beyonce human experience, and that became her as a whole and that allowed her i think to bring out a little bit more of that in herself and in this one very clear-cut character so i look back on this era very fondly however at the time i was how old was i I was 15 maybe 16 so i was in late high school years i I had a i don't know what it was i i just wasn't quite connecting with beyonce um however and i think the time that i did connect with beyonce was the self-titled album um, that that yeah. came out when I was about 20, 21, a little bit more of a worldly sort of person by then. I'd been to London once, so, um, you know, I was a culture. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> I was cultured. Um, and that's what really brought me over as a fan and allowed me to understand exactly who she was and what was her unique position as a as a as an artist um, and then obviously, yeah. you know, took that to new heights on the, the albums that followed. Um, but I look back on this now and I, you know, obviously had to listen back before we did the podcast. It's such a great album and it really was such a turning point. And I can't think of anyone else who was doing music like this in 2011, particularly yeah. at the height of celebrity that Beyonce was at. It's to think of I Am Sasha Fierce and now I, I look back on it and think it's probably her worst album. Yeah. Um, 
but has the biggest hits when mm. you think of it. If I were a boy, single ladies, um, Halo, Sweet Dreams, all just massive singles. Um, and then to come into a project like this where I, don't, I Am Sasha Fierce felt like she was reaching for hits and she wanted to be play the pop game and she was playing it very well. This one was the first time where it felt like she was like, nah, I'm going to make Beyonce a genre and I'm going to do my thing. And the thing that I think stands stood out to me the first time I listened to this and the reason that I was like, this album is actually a lot better than I than I thought it was going to be. And I remember listening at the time and kind of going in like, not reluctantly, but not overly interested in yeah. what was going on. But she sings her absolute ass off in a way you hadn't heard before. Like you can hear the grit in her voice on these songs and like the songs like one plus one and um start over. Like she's just, she's just going for it. And her I think voice like on one plus one like, blew me away. Absolutely blew my yeah. socks off on one plus one. And I, 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 and that was, I don't remember her vocally being, you know, I remember her being vocally impressive, but I don't remember that being her yeah. standout quality. Then it was more the, it was more the confidence and the boldness of her Absolutely. lyrics and stuff. But she could fucking sing, um, which is interesting because there was a review that I read. Um, you know, we always look at what the critics had said around the time, and um, a publication called All Music said it was not on par with her usual vocal talent across this album. Really? Yeah. That. What would you have to be listening to to think that? <laughs> because this is more so than any of her albums, I think. This is a vocal masterclass. 100%. It's insane. Even when she's doing and the, I- like, even when she's doing songs like, um, like, uh, like Countdown, when she's doing that fast kind of, even Girls Run the World. Yeah. When she's doing that fast yeah. kind of, I think it's called Staccato um, Delivery. Like, it's even a masterclass yeah. in being able to deliver lyrics hard and fast, as well as take your time and do the actual, you know, diva-like singing. Um, it's so impressive. Yeah. And I think here's her finding the confidence to do both things, to be a real, like, Whitney Houston belter and to also be a rapper and something she moved into much more, like, much harder on the self-titled project and then Lemonade and even more so with everything she's done since Lemonade. Yeah. This was just kind of all those little things of her just like kind of just tapping down the door a little bit and being like, okay, now, now the chains are loose. I can do what I want. And like, just, just some phenomenal songs coming from that. I think the but I think the root of confusion around this project is the first single being run the world, um, which used a major laser sample at the time and was quite an aggressive underground dance record, um, dance slash, I would say, rap record to release at the time in a time where you've got people like Adele, who's the biggest artist around that year. Um, But then the other big artists, obviously Nicki Minaj, who was doing um, big EDM records and then Pitbull doing big EDM records, LMFAO doing like ridiculous Bonkers EDM records. To come through with this major la- and major laser were not a huge deal at the point that she sampled this song. The song had got, kind of gone viral in dance communities, but certainly not in the mainstream. Yep. And then to put it onto this like unapologetic feminist message, 
I think everyone was just a bit like, whoa, like didn't didn't know how to take it. It was a slap in the face. It absolutely was, but I think it was a slap in the face that we needed. And I think it was a, a really clear, loud, honest statement at the time and a bold statement when you were kind of living in this world of, um, and I loved it and we still love it, vapid EDM-led records that didn't actually have much yeah. meaning behind them. They were there for sales and for escapism. If we're talking about the LMFA, Pitbull, Nikki kind of world. Um, Adele's a completely different story, obviously, but yeah, th- those were very much, you know, very vapid records. And then we have this kind of dance inspired, dance hall, big, you know, uh, call to arms kind of drums that actually have a really yeah. clear, bold statement. I don't think people. Um, were possibly ready for it at the time, which is what Beyonce is so great at delivering those moments that no one's actually fucking ready for. Yeah. And I think like single ladies is probably the single that I can tie the most to run the world girls. But when you think of the messaging in that, it's kind of like um, very male dependent in a way. And then she almost took the single ladies, like the skeleton of single ladies. She took it deep into the clubs. And then she said, I don't like, we're not going to fuck around with the man thing anymore. Like, let's put that to the side. This is an army moment for, like, for mainstream pop feminism. And by the time you get to self-titled and you get to something, like, flawless, like, everyone wanted it on a T-shirt. So it was, like, that That was kind of the transition for her. And you listen to that song, this song now, and it sounds profound. But I remember at the time it just wasn't sticking anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't really a radio hit when she'd been used to having everything become a radio hit. It definitely had, you know, it definitely bubbled under the surface, but it wasn't a radio smasher. Um, It wasn't a particularly big chart song either. And I think that's probably, yeah, got something to do with the fact that folks weren't ready for it. Would you have gone with a different lead single? Do you think there's a better lead single on the album? I think at the time, yeah. But, like, it's easy to say with hindsight because... I think it's hard to listen to an album like Four and not see Run the World as the elephant in the room. Like, it's hard to just bypass that and be like, oh, yeah, that'll be a fourth single or whatever. Yeah. But I think when you think of it retrospectively, a song like Countdown... I mean, Countdown is one of her best songs ever. Absolutely. So I think something like that could have been more of a moment, but even that is a really bold, aggressive record as well. So I don't know how radio would have gone with that. Maybe, maybe love on top could have been, I mean, retrospectively love on top's gone on to be one of her biggest records and the biggest song from this album. But yeah, does that even work as a first single? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think love on top is probably top, top three Beyonce songs of all time for me. Um, yeah. tied pretty closely with uh, Drunk in Love and I don't know what the other one would be. Something off Lemonade, um, if I really thought about Perfect it. Perfect duet with Ed Sheeran. Absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Love on Top was such a, again, such a moment that, yeah, maybe it could have been a softer landing to come in for the first single, but it could it have been yeah. lost? Could it have gotten lost amongst the, you know, it, it's kind of soppiness, it's kind of um, drama, could have potentially been lost in the, you know, in the LMFAO, everybody shuffling kind of world at the time. Maybe it did need to breathe a little yeah. bit longer. One one option you could have gone with is best thing I never had, going in that kind of halo if I was a boy sort of ballad territory. Yeah. Do you kind of but, come in? But that doesn't make enough of a statement that, 
Beyonce is back and Beyonce is here with a new era to usher in. Exactly. And they tried Best Thing I Never Had almost as album recess just before it came out because that was the next single after Girls and that didn't work either. So you'd be like, and I was watching the bits of her documentary for this record today and the record label was like absolutely floored by this album. And the head of Columbia Records was like, we haven't heard anything like this. So then you're trying all these singles and you're like, why the fuck is nothing sticking? This is Beyonce, not not Christina Aguilera. <laughs> and then I think it all started to click. I, I feel like this album, people just needed to, to sit with and they needed to understand what Beyonce was doing in the end. And I think it, that like four has aged exceptionally well. Um but I think things happened during this era that started to line her up for self-titled. And I think the um, Glastonbury headlining performance, which was like one of the, the best in history. And then you had the Girls Run the World performance at the, I think it was Billboard Music Awards, where she did the thing with the screen and she was like lifting the worlds up and like um, she yelled in the face of that Glee guy, which was quite funny. Um, <laughs> and then... And then she announced the pregnancy with the love on top performance. And it was like, okay, now we've like, now we've gotten there. Yeah. That was Your a pop star, star moment. Now. It was a pop star moment. Exactly. Absolutely was. Um, yeah. It, it may have been one of those records. Also not to mention, she delivered 72 songs to the record label going, pick your fucking favourites. So it's highly yeah. likely that A&R's chosen a couple of wrong songs on there and there maybe were a couple of better options for some of these. Well, most of the reviews did note that the bonus tracks were among the best songs on the album. There you go. Because you had um, Schooling Life, which I think she may have even gone on to perform that at Coachella, which is pretty funny. Given School that- in Life, I was going to say, School in Life, I listened back to that yesterday and I was like, Hang on, this yeah, this some this is something. There's something here. This could have been a hit. So they they released the record to streaming services with a different track list to what it was originally released as. So the first song on the album was initially One Plus One, right? And then Schooling Life was a bonus track, and they've reshuffled it. And Love on Top is the first song now, and Schooling Life is in the main part of the album. So it's amazing. There's all, it's yeah, it's just a crazy time. But I think I've, I was looking at a number of um, pop stars' fourth album today, some of which we've done on the podcast. Christina Aguilera's Bionic was her fourth album. Um, so it's it's notoriously a difficult one for a pop star of her stature. So I thought for our first song game, we'll put up a song from four against a song off another artist's fourth album. Great idea. Let's do it. Okay, are you ready to play four or another four? I like the name. That's really smart. It's good. I should have called it four to the floor. Oh, four to the four. You could have called it. Sponsored by Star Sailor. Was it Star Sailor? I am not even joking. My game was going to be four to the floor or a song from four. And you had to choose whether Star Sailor's four to the floor was better than a song on four. And then I came oh, up you'd with have an to dig even, real deep in four. The, to find yeah, one absolutely. <laughs> and then I came up with an even more infuriating game. So we'll get to that after after Great. yours. Can't wait. <laughs> Tease us. Stick around. <laughs> um, okay. First challenge. 
First challenge back. Feels good. Girls run the world. First, Rude Boy by Rihanna off her fourth album, Rated R. Wow. Rude Boy is one of my... I, I, I feel like I always say one of my favourite Rihanna like songs. It's like... Yeah. Like, I wouldn't skip it is how I rate Rude Boy. It's a good song. One of the good Rihanna songs, particularly from that era. There wasn't too much Rihanna in that era. One of a handful. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that meme that was like, um, it was like a screenshot of Rihanna in an interview being like, oh, all my lyrics just really come from the heart. Um, You know, they come from personal experiences. And then it's like, um, the other screenshot is the lyrics to Rude Boy being like, come on, Rude Boy, boy, can you get it up? Which was circulating around pop music communities in the early 2010s. Um, <laughs> I like. Uh, oh, this is actually a hard one. I think "Run the World" again. I always try and go back to like the statement and the impact. I think "Girl." I think "Run the World" was definitely more of an impactful pop song. "Rude Boy" is yeah. very fun. I love the production in "Rude Boy." It's that weird, you know, meow, 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 ew. like that production that was going on in in "Rude Boy" was. So much fun, but yeah, run the world for me. Yeah, yeah. So interestingly, um, so Rated R is my favorite Rihanna album, and it turned ten last year, and I got to write about it. And I spoke to one of the main songwriters on the album, and the um, I can't remember her name now, which is bad. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but rude boy. Uh, they actually just thought it was funny. Like, they thought it was a bit of fun. They didn't think anyone would go for it and they didn't give it a second thought. And here it became the biggest song from the record. And You're kind joking. Of an odd song to put on an album that was exceptionally dark. Wait, did you did um, you interview Esther Dean? No, 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 not uh, Esther Dean. No. Uh, I will find it and I will put it in here as an edit. <laughs> Mabeka McKee... Makeba Riddick Woods? Yeah, her. Yeah, her. And she was with Rihanna from the start. She wrote with her from the start. Wow. That's really yeah. cool. Um, but anyway, in saying that, I can't stand Rude Boy. So I'm, <laughs> g- I'm going to go with Run the World. Don't tell Makeba Riddick Woods that you don't like Rude Boy. <laughs> well, she wrote other really great songs on that record. Okay. So let's... <laughs> it's past then. So it's two. We're both for Run the World. What's our second uh, little matchup of four and another four? The next matchup is two jazzy little songs. Ooh. Love on top from four. First, God is a Woman by Ariana Grande off her fourth album, Sweetener. Also a divisive record. Very divisive record. God is a Woman, not one of mine from Ari. Um, production, good. Just don't like the song. Love on top. Noted anti-feminist. <laughs> exactly. It's because it says woman in the title. <laughs> just after God I... man always has been, always will just, be. Just after I approved Girls Run the World as being a great song. I'm one of the great anti-feminists. <laughs> uh, Love on top, like, has everything I want in a song. It has everything I want, particularly in a Beyonce song. It's got personality. It's got attitude. It has a key change. So it's love on top for me. Cool. Yeah, I think both pretty bold moments from both of them. Yeah. God is a woman. Ari making like a quite a big statement for one of the first like really truly big wide scale statements from her and a like exceptional vocal performance, but 
hard to go past like Beyonce just climbing octave like it's no one's business at the end there and I remember the first time hearing it and you're like is she gonna go up again oh there we are oh, oh there oh, we are oh. <laughs> except amazing and then like she probably wouldn't stop because it just fades out at the end the producer was like all right that's enough you know? yeah okay okay that's a cut that's a take that's good all right Beyonce cool we got, it please we got it and she's still in there going to like whistle note territory yeah exactly just like really amazing and also really different for um an artist back then i mean obviously adele was doing a few throwback things but this was really like a motown song in a way so yeah to be doing that as a main pop star who's chasing the charts is pretty cool and like it's testament to the song that stayed around for so long and become one of her hallmark tracks so love on top for me quick shout out to um bring the beat in like one of the great lines to kick off a pop song yep. in history. Ex- Bring the beat in. Excellent line. More of that. <laughs> dum dum da dum. <laughs> Did you say more rap? What? No. No, I said more. No, I said more of. I said more of that. Like more of people. Oh, like okay. Yeah. Ushering the well, beat more in. Morat can song. bring the beat in too. Yeah, I like that likes. idea. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Morat. What's our next one? Uh, the next one is Boy. Countdown. Versus, let's not forget Beyonce's had two fourth albums because she had Destiny's Fulfilled with Destiny's Child. So it's Countdown versus Lose My Breath, the first single from that album. I didn't realise DC had four albums. Four, four albums, yeah. Did they have more than four? four? I love how they had four albums and then, no, this was the last one. Right. Had four albums and then concluded Destiny's Fulfilled. Let's... Let's close the book. It's done. Let's not drag it on any longer. Destiny is finite. Um, Lose My Breath is a really strong song. I think the performance on it's great. It's that it's that fast kind of almost rap delivery that we were just talking about with some of the some of the Beyonce tracks. Um, yeah, I love the production on it. I love the like a really. There's nothing like a vis like a pop song that's like quite sort of. I don't know what the word is. Maybe it's visceral, where you can yeah you know. It, it's tangible, like you lose your breath with it. <laughs> yeah. Like so fucking smart and to incorporate that into the production. Um, Countdown, as we both discussed earlier, one of her best songs, IMO. Um, yeah. So this is a really difficult one because there's so much to love about both of them. I think They're both so good. They're both really smart from their songwriting perspective as well. Um yeah, you know, countdown doesn't follow any particular structure, which I love, and I love how it, no, it's really difficult to sing along to because it doesn't follow a structure, uh, but yeah. it still works. It's written in such a weird time signature. Oh, Sam, this is difficult. This is really hard. Okay, I want to go. I want your answer first on this one. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, if we're going to talk about like iconic openings to pop songs as we were talking about before with Bring the Beat In, Hit Me is another, oh. is a great one. And then those um, those drums coming in just feels like it's militant in a way. Marching band. But then you go up against Countdown that uses the horns in a similar way. So, like, I feel like the, these two are a good match just to pop, pat myself on the back momentarily. Um, oh, it's so hard. I mean, Lose My Breath was such a good return. Uh, from a girl group who were kind of in their dying hours. Um, but Countdown is just like next level 
pop song that follows absolutely no rules and just has Beyonce like at her absolute maximum. Like if you don't like Beyonce, Countdown is not going to make you like her. Yeah. Like it is full a hundred percent Beyonce. So I think Countdown's one of her best top three best songs for me. So Countdown. It's paining me, but I'm gonna go Countdown as well. Because yeah. Uh, just just yeah, I I just want to like make a note of. Can you imagine how fucking fun it would be to be in the studio for these sessions when they like worked yeah. out oh, let's do this, or like, let's do that. Even the Destiny's Child sessions, when they realise, let's yell, hit me at the start, and like, then do a marching band, and then like, like, can you imagine the brain explosions? Oh, I just, yeah, that just excites me so much. But just the fun also of having Beyonce as your weapon. Like, if if you put those horns in Countdown over any other artist, you would not hear them. Not at all. (laughs) It would be, they'd be faded into the background, and yet she's like, at Mac one over them. Yeah. It's really amazing moment. Okay, our final our final one is uh, best I never had. Versus Confessions Part Two off the Usher's fourth album. Confessions. Oh. Oh, I'm about to sneeze. Just give me one moment. <laughs> I can feel it. It's coming. I'm watching it live. Looks good. Okay, I think it's gone. Um, I think (laughs) it was disappointing, wasn't it? It'll come. It'll come out of nowhere in a second. Real disappointing. Best I never had. It was definitely one of the. I'm stating the obvious, but soppier moments on on four. Um, I think it needed it needed that because there is so much raucousness going on at times. Confessions part two slaps. Probably one of Usher's better songs when he was in that more R&B sound before he moved into that sort of dance pop for a few albums. Um, yeah. Well, this is a re- another really difficult one. I'm, I think I might go Usher for this. Confessions okay. lasts more for me. Confessions is stu- yeah. stu- stuck around longer. Yeah, I think Best I Never Had is a necessary moment for the album, but definitely in the bottom half, if I'm thinking of my favourite songs on there. Um, but she sounds like phenomenal on it. Yeah. Um, but Usher Confessions kind of defines that early two thousands R and B sound even more so than something like Burn. Yeah. Um. Or yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Confessions Part Two by Usher, but that gives Beyonce three three out of four, which ain't bad. That's pretty good. We don't normally get that many wins off an album. Normally there's some pretty... St- and they were very strong contenders, all of those songs. So four stands exactly. up pretty well amongst the other difficult fourth albums. <laughs> Moving on, what do you think the biggest difference between four... I mean, we've kind of discussed this in a way, but um, what was the biggest difference between this project and the Beyonce albums that had come before it? What made this such a different album for her? This became a different album because she had time and she had time to live life a little bit more. Obviously, when yeah. when we say, you know, they get to go and live life and have those experiences that make the album so yeah. great. When you're a celebrity like Beyonce, it's not a normal kind of life no. you're living. You're not backpacking around Europe. Exactly. <laughs> you're not just sort of like strolling yeah. around the streets of a suburban town. You're still, you know, in a 
mansion Staying with your second aunt with your second <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i think i think that's the key here is she had breathing room she also a lot of this yeah. album was inspired by the amount of time she spent on the road for for sasha fierce as well and the things she learned about connecting yeah. to the audience in such a special way um, the things she learned about the yep. production that makes a real visceral kind of experience happen for fans. So I think, yep. yeah, it's a combination of, of having time for those experiences, but also having time to work out exactly who she was and the elements of the characters that she might have played in the past. For example, Sasha Fierce. Um, and yeah. and bring all that into the Beyonce persona and allow that to be the most truly Beyonce album yet. And then when you think about it as being, you know, that I, I see it almost as being a bridge between that early stuff in her her first three solo albums and from the DC days and, and being a bridge between yeah. those and then going into Beyonce and Lemonade and, um, and yeah. even the Carters record. Um, you know, it allowed her to, be a little bit more loud and brash and and fast and weird and then we obviously saw a lot of that in the later albums so i really see this album as having been a great breathing space um a a nice little reset for her and a nice bridge to the future yeah you've hit the nail on the head i think it's a transitional album thank you in a not not that it doesn't stand up by itself but it it is a transitional album yeah i think you're right when you're like in Destiny's Child so young and then suddenly you go on to being Beyonce and and you go that goes extremely well for you just casually being Beyonce and then <laughs> and then you get to this point and like when you particularly when you've done an album like I am Sasha Fierce where you're playing a character you've you've surely got to start to wonder like who am I without the pop persona and it's difficult to peel that back and so many people find it difficult and they try and sometimes fail and I think you see it with Lady Gaga doing it on like Joanne and um like even Taylor Swift now going back to folklore like everybody has that point where they have to try and peel back those layers and figure out who they were and I think Beyonce on this just does it so well and you get some of the most like intimate moments that we've ever heard from her starting with a song like one plus one which is one of the most like direct love songs of our time and then even i care which is just like her putting out exactly how she feels and then i miss you um co-written with frank ocean who hadn't had many big pop co or still doesn't have many big pop co-writes at this point like that song is just apparently beyonce cried when she heard frank play that for the first time but it's just so so such a small intimate moment to have on an album that also acknowledges that yes I am a larger than life pop star I'm I'm an entertainer like of course I am but then I've got these small moments and then on the self-titled one she really like just opens the floodgates and lets you in like songs about having a miscarriage and then finally having her own daughter and also like inklings of infidelity and stuff like that which i don't think she was at the point at all to get to on the first three albums she was such a closed book um in the early days and i think another thing that probably had something to do with it was that change in management as well and that change in leadership um obviously it's a very difficult mix and it's it rarely works to have your paternal father manage your your business affairs into your you know, late twenties. Um, 
Yeah. Like that's a that's a very difficult relationship to have and to to separate the two and 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 her and her father's uh professional relationship dissolved uh, a couple of years before Four came out and she moved on to I believe yeah. being managed by Troy Carter um who ended up going on to um manage uh Gaga and I think was managing Gaga at the time um and a couple of other wow. huge not, superstars not a, not a bad stable to have <laughs> not a terrible stable would have made some decent royalties um and so just I think there would have been a, a refreshment a, re, a refreshing in her sense of self and a refreshing in her sense of what was appropriate to put out there on the public record because when your dad's managing yeah. you and obviously you know managers tend to have an ear in the songs that come out and the stories that are told if your family's involved in th- those stories being told, they're probably going to shut a few ideas down or you're probably not going to feel yeah. like you can write about certain topics in your life. So I think that probably had some kind of influence on the type of album she was able to make post four. And she made a really big point of this album of saying how she paid for the studio time herself. And that's like, I mean, it's di- if you and I paid for studio time, probably bankrupt us, and it's like insignificant <laughs> in the in the <laughs> it's insignificant in the sense of like taking a chunk of money from her bank account, but it is significant in that she had that control and she was able to do that. And a lot of this project was recorded in secret, so she didn't have people in her ear going like record this or record that. Or um, I heard a great song by this songwriter that you should get in. She really just got to do what what she wanted to do and this was it absolutely couldn't agree more great well i do want to i think we'd like talk a lot about how her singing and her song we're getting way too serious on this we've got to get to a game i know we're gonna be very i know we've got some silly people are gonna tune out they would have been like i would have tuned into fucking npr if i wanted (laughs) (laughs) no you were starting a good sentence there you were starting a good idea I think we talk about her singing. We've talked about her singing and songwriting and the songs a lot, but I think we can't deny um, how much, how monumental her performance was at this point in her career. And like, as we've said, Glastonbury and um, the Billboard Music Awards and stuff like that. But she is a workhorse when it comes to dancing. And her dancing at this stage was when it became phenomenal. And her presence, even without the music, was amazing. It was iconic is a word that gets thrown around quite a lot, but she was the yeah. definition of it at this period and continues to be. And and you're right, workhorse is a good word. It was just so physically physically able and physically fit and and so yeah. tight and so godlike and you as a you and I as not particularly you know, flexible folks would look at what she was doing and go, what the fuck? Like, how does a human body do what she is doing right now and do it so slickly and she can still sing at the same time? And that became such an important part. Movement and the visual side of the world became so important for her. And that has obviously, that obviously got even bigger after four as well, when she started releasing literal visual albums and, yeah, bringing to life that visual experience became so critical, and I think it really was kind of a blueprint for other artists. To, it, it set the bar of the level of music video, the level of performance, the level of yeah. moment creation that was required to be an iconic pop star. That blueprint was set by Beyonce in the early 2010s, without a doubt. 
And isn't it funny to look at it, look at something like this now? When I was watching the the documentary of how this was made and she'd flown in um, these three kids from Africa who'd done a, a YouTube dance that she'd like saved away and it ended up becoming like the backbone of the girls won the world dance. Yeah. And she flew them in and like they meticulously learnt this dance for hours. Um, and then she transforms it into this like big stage routine. It's so funny to think of her as a pop star then, as opposed to what we consider a pop star now where we're in this kind of age of relatability where it's not about marveling at the pop star. It's about like, wanting to knowing that you could be them if you wanted to be them. And I think it is something we're coming out of slightly now, but it was definitely the thing after this. And perhaps it was already happening at this time, which could be a factor as to why this didn't do as well as it should have. But to think of like, I don't want my pop stars to do outrageous dance and wear outrageous clothes because I can't be that. Where it's like, this is entertainment. You're not meant to be that. You're meant to sit there like with your mouth wide open drooling. <laughs> and I'm like, st- I saw it just to like shout out a new pop star, like um, Tate McRae performing at the MTV EMAs. And I didn't, well, I've, I've forgotten that she's a professionally trained dancer. And I was like, holy shit. It's so weird to see somebody now just like doing this like amazing dance routine and blowing people away. And I think in the same breath, if we're talking about the 2020 EMAs, um, you look at Doja Cat's performance, you look at Zara Larson's performance, yeah. and we are back to that yeah. point where pop Absolutely. stars are being pop stars again, and they're crafting and moments on. on the... Bring it on! Exactly! Yeah. I want mouths agape at what people are doing on those stages. Yeah. It shouldn't exactly. be... It, because everything else can be accessible. do it, we would all be doing it. Absolutely. Believe me, if I could be selling out <laughs> bloody arena, obviously not right now, I wouldn't be selling out arenas, but yes. if I could be doing that next year, I would. But the fact is I don't have the talent to do it, which is why I talk about it and write about it. And that's, that's the way it should be in a way. I think you can relate to the music and you should relate to the lyrics yeah. and you should relate to them on a human way, but... When it comes to the performance side of it, show show them why you're up there, honestly. I absolutely agree with you. I think that you've really hit the nail on the head there. It is... I, I think we should do a supercut of all the times we've told each other that we've hit the nail on the head, by the way. Yeah, um, we're killing it today. We need the Zane Lowe. We're so fucking L- right Exactly, now. we this need the bomb. This is Queen Radio. <laughs> Zane, send us the bomb. Um, I think you've really, you've really nailed it. We, the relatability is in the music. The relatability is in the stories. The relatability is in the glow up from, you know, rags to riches. Yeah. But... There's a reason that, again, yeah, there's a reason they are at a certain level and you are not at that level. There's a reason that certain pop stars cut through and that should be something that's celebrated and elevated more and more in these incredible performances and and moments on a stage. We're basically telling you, give up. You're not going to make it. Give up. (laughs) There's room at the top for everyone. Never be Beyonce. Stop kidding yourself with your silly little songs and your silly little dance (laughs) routines. Give up. Give up. Just as a disclaimer, if you don't understand our humour, we're not actually telling you to give up. Follow your dreams. No, stars. if you are a budding musician, there is a place for you out there. And Absolutely. And that place is the interns.net. <laughs> 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 oh, 
<laughs> we haven't been on this podcast since Nick killed his blog. Oh yeah, blogs are now, dead, guys. Blogs are now dead. in the intro it will just be Nick Kelly. You, it's Beyonce. This is your this is your destiny's child moment. <laughs> Leaving and becoming your own entity. Hey, to be fair, Project U is still live because I can't be bothered getting our webmaster to redirect it to my own website. So, um, technically, <laughs> still the, <laughs> the new second best pop website in Australia. Do. That's what we should do. Is it time for a silly little game? It's time for a game. Yeah, okay. let's do it. So, obviously, there was a big song on this record called Girls, uh, Run the World in brackets, Girls, reminding mm, you exactly... You may have heard us mention it. We may have talked about it so far. But I want to test your knowledge of the political sphere, considering we've just gone through, you know, a big election um, and we've just elected, you know, a new leader to run the world, essentially, to run the United yeah. States in Kamala Harris and her little buddy Joe. Um, I want to yeah. go around the grounds. I want to go around to a few countries and ask who actually run the world. So I need you to name the leader of oh these countries. God, However, <laughs> I'm this is, so bad at this. I must inform you, this is not a yes. this is not an objective game. This is a subjective game. So the leader what oh, isn't so I necessarily can Yeah, I want you to guess. So who actually, I think like the biggest presence is in that country. Yes, and I'll tell you whether they are or aren't. Okay, all right. Are you ready Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, this sounds great. This yeah. is going to be a great game. Okay, <laughs> New Zealand. Who run the world in New Zealand? Little island nation just I'm, to the east of Australia. I mean, my gut wants to say Lord, um, but I, I do think Jacinda Ardern is doing a, a very good job and one of the few... Um, Leaders of the, their own country that I would say can remain leader <laughs> under my little my global rejig. So I'm gonna, I'm going to leave leave Jacinda in the job. You are correct on that one. Jacinda yes. Ardern runs the world in New Zealand. Lord is deputy. <laughs> however, she's been on leave for three right. years, so she's currently not running the world <laughs> in that particular country. Who run the world in Germany? <laughs> Oh. Well, again, they've got a pretty good leader in Angela. Great pronunciation. Impressive. And also, I'm not... I'm having a bit of trouble naming another German, to be honest with Well, you. look, it may not be a German person. It could be someone who's quite influential in Germany. <laughs> um, someone who's quite big in Germany. I feel like Ava Max would do really well in Germany. So I'm going to say Ava Max runs the world in Germany. An impressive guess, but no, unfortunately, Charlie XCX runs Germany oh, because her song it, was course. fucking big in Germany. So yeah. it's okay, Charlie XCX. Charlie can have that. Good so on that, her. That's one out of two for you. That's a 50% and mark. She's also the, um, the minister for commerce in Chromatica. So she's got her work <laughs> cut out for her. Damn it, I should have put Chromatica in there. Uh, who run the world in Israel? Jeez. Oh, Israel. Born is the I feel like you're trying to trap me into Israel. saying something mildly ignorant. Um... um uh, 
I don't know. I have no idea who runs the world in Israel. Wasn't there a, a Eurovision winner from Israel recently? Him. That guy. The the big tall guy that You're won, talking about... Won, are you talking about Hobby Star from I am, Israel? yeah. The great Hobby Star. Unfortunately, he he's runs only... Israel. The, he... Does run Israel! Congratulations! Yes! You got it right! Hobby Star, 2017 Eurovision finalist, runs the world in Israel. Congratulations! Fantastic. That was a great guess. Okay, the next one you've got to guess is who runs the world in Italy? Italy. Well, um, my partner and our absent producer who hasn't even, who's vacated the room this week. Wow. She's Italian. Yeah. Um, so I would say probably her and yep. Stefani Geminotta and uh, Ariana Grande as a, <laughs> as a trio. They're all in the cabinet together. They're in the cabinet. Uh, that answer... Doing a terrible job, might I add, with coronavirus, ravaging the well. country for the second time. Do, uh, do you reckon they have COVID on Chromatica? Do you reckon COVID's infected Chromatica? <laughs> no. No, I think I think the minister, <laughs> the minister for health, Carly Rae Jepsen, is doing an excellent <laughs> job. <laughs> so your answer is your partner and our produ- our absent producer, Ariana Grande yeah. and Stephanie Geminotta. Yeah. The answer is Sergio Mattarella, the current president of Italy, runs the world in Italy. <laughs> Wrong. So how come he gets to be the leader of his own country, but Charlie XCX gets rid of Angela? I don't have. To, I don't have to give you reasons. I just have to give you the, the question. <laughs> um, congratulations. That was a. Uh, that was a. Uh, two out of four game. Yay! Well, who, for Sam. who runs? I'm going to turn it back on you. Who runs Gosford? Oh, good question. Um. I would normally say me because I claim myself to be the inventor of the Central Coast. Um, you have got quite a nice like position up there on the hill, looking over your your kingdom. Yes, over my peasants. Um, but I would say the Gosford town crier would probably run Gosford. Yes, we have a town crier. Do you actually? Yes, he's been in a television commercial for the local shopping centre, which I'll send to you later because it's iconic. <laughs> Good. That's the answer. Local politics. We have to wrap in eight minutes, so I. <laughs> we have to move on. We have to move on. I'm very okay. sorry for that game. I want to was... ask you one question, and then we're going. Don't be sorry. I loved it. It was good, good. really good. The most intelligent game you've played, actually, I, much I agree. better than um, geopolitical Arquad or Ward one. <laughs> Okay, so this was the last album that Beyonce used a traditional pop rollout for. Mm -hmm. Uh, She obviously just kind of shook everything when she released a self-titled record. Why do you think she detoured from this on this, after this record? It's a great question. I think might be two-pronged. I don't think she's ever been traditional in her rollout. I mean... Yeah. You just have to look at Run the, Wo- um, Run the World being the first single. 
I think that tells you yeah. it's a non-traditional rollout when you go for something that bonkers as your sort of lead. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she's ever... I think she's always been surprising. There's always been an air of mystique about her and mysteriousness around Beyonce. Yeah. So I think the surprise album wasn't a particularly surprising step, as ridiculous as that sounds. I think also, you know, this idea of new management and new, um, new brains in her world and new creative people around her in her orbit, yeah. I think all probably led to the idea of that. And I think also taking, you know, another few years off after this album um, in terms of releases definitely allowed her to kind of take stock of what folks in music were doing and get ahead of the curve and invent something yeah. new and do something that no one had done at the time. Um, so I think that is why the shift happened. And in fact, I'm shocked it didn't happen earlier, but because this was the album that really cemented that icon status as a soloist, I think that's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely right. And I know I'm banging on about this documentary, like somebody. No, I'm glad you watched it. I didn't realize, I didn't realize there was. The first time, but <laughs> It's only 21 minutes. Coney 2012. Yeah, exactly. Um, But she kind of talks about how she's, she's not in this to play the pop star game. She's not in this to do this. She's in this because she loves it. And she like bursts into tears when she sees these dancers that she's flown over to help her with the run the world video because she's like I've just like seen the passion in them and that that like really raw passion that's reminded me why I'm doing this in the first place and I think after this album she saw like people were going oh it didn't do that well on the charts and it didn't perform and she's like fuck it I'm not here to like play that game of giving you a single and then a promotional single and like doing hi this is Beyonce and you're listening to Total Pop on Spotify she's like (laughs) I'm just going to do it because I love doing it and I'm going to drop it. Oh, I would have loved her to do one of those. Hi, this is Beyonce. My brand new album Beyonce is out. You can swipe up to listen on Spotify now. (laughs) She's recording hundreds and hundreds. (laughs) She's like, I'm not doing that. It's not the game I'm playing and I'm not going to do it. Hear it on Best New Dance Holland. Okay, next one. <laughs> Tweets out. Thank you, Azerbaijan, for adding me to New Music Friday. Oh, God. <laughs> Link below. <laughs> so depressing. All right, are you ready for another game? Fuck, there's another game? Yeah, sick. <laughs> there's another game. We're, <laughs> really, we're really running through it. Nick's got to go today, so this is why we're talking so quickly. Let's do if it. You, if we're going too fast, you can download a program where you slow down... Um, it you can do that in the app, 10%. I think, as well, in some of the podcast apps. Oh, okay. All yeah. right, we'll just do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. We're playing this game that I'm going to ca- call the Game of Four. So basically what I've got, and I'm not going to show you them, I'm just going to describe them to you, um, are photos of Beyonce with various people. I'm going to give you three of the people that are in the photo, and you've got to give me the fourth person. Fuck. Okay, I like this. Have you got it? It's a fun game. Options, so you don't just have to pull it out of nowhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the first one is a photo from the Grammys in 2013. Beyonce is with Jessica Biel, Justin Timberlake, and Solange. Yeah. Jay Z. Yeah. Or Kelly Rowland. Oh. With Biel and Timberlake, I'm presuming it's a couple's photo. With this one. So I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Jay Z for this. You're right. It's Jay Z yes! in the photo. Couple's photo. Right, we're just warming up. We're getting harder. Fashion week. She's in the front row. Gotcha. 
and she's sitting with Beyonce, Kim Kardashian, Ooh. noted fashion icon Northwest, <laughs> and Kanye West, Anna Wintour, or Paris Hilton. See, I all, all three of those I thought before you even said it. I, I was like, it's going to yeah. be one of these three. I think it's a bit too late for Paris to make sense, particularly at a Fashion Week event. She wasn't really a Fashion Week kind of person later on, I don't think. Um, Kanye is too obvious. I'm going to go Winter. You're right. Yes! You've got, you've got my mechanics. And yes! It's Anna Winter. It's a great photo. Norse on Kim's lap. And the two girls are bonding. It's a beautiful moment. All right. The title launch. Beyonce was photographed with Alicia <laughs> Keys, Madonna, and Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, or Calvin Harris. Ooh. Can you repeat now, those? Now, I will say they were with? all... They were all there? Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, Calvin Harris. All three of them endorsed title at yep. its launch. Got you. Beyonce and Calvin Harris in a photo, I just can't see it for some reason. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Rihanna for this one. You're right, it's Rihanna. You're on fire. Yes! I like this game. I'm happy with this. Rihanna game. and Beyonce rarely photograph together, but photograph there. Okay, this one might be a bit harder for you. So um she was photographed in London with Gwyneth Paltrow, Rock Nation artist Ty Ty. And Jess Glynn, Kylie Minogue, or Rita Ora. <gasps> okay, Jess, Jess Glynn. You've thrown I Jess Glynn say, in there for shits and gigs, haven't you? All right, well, we can cross Jess Glynn. <laughs> the sexy fish is Jess Glynn. Kylie and Rita are both, Rita. both sexy fish. She's not let into <laughs> sexy fish. Kylie and Rita are both signed to Jay-Z at at different points in their career. Okay. I remember Rhea being more of a sort of like proud signing of Rock Nation. So I'm going to go with Rhea Ora. You're correct. Yeah! Four for four. I shouldn't have given you any options. What have I done? I should have just gone into your ridiculous world of games where you just... I just me throw shit to the air. Obscurity. Absolutely. It's the best way to do it. It gets your brain thinking. It's good for your health. Okay, final one. Beyonce, Kelly Rowland, Diana Ross, yep. and Michelle Williams, yep. Mariah Carey, yep. or Jennifer Hudson. Oh, this is a hard one. Crossing Michelle off because Michelle. <clears throat> well, she was in a band with Kelly and... Yes, Beyonce. I remember. I remember that. I do remember her being in a band with those two. But why would Diana Ross pose with her? Wait, when was this? They were all performing together, all four of these, at like a kind of Diana Ross tribute sort of thing. Sorry, should have given you that context. Oh, 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 what were the three again? I've lost them. Because all I can think about is Michelle. Michelle Williams. (laughs) Yep. Heath Ledger's ex-wife, Michelle Williams. Mariah Carey or Jennifer Hudson. Hudson. Jennifer Hudson? Yes. It was Mariah Carey. Oh, no. I lost on the last You just second. fell out right at the end. You were doing so well. Oh, that would have been an amazing show. It would have been iconic. By all reports. I mean, the photo looks great. 
Looks really cool. <laughs> looks fun. Looked like it was fun. Oh dear. That was a All good right, game. I liked up. that one. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good, but you yeah. really did well. So now I'm wondering I should have gone with something harder next week. Okay. Um Okay, so we're we're winding up here because you've got to go. You've got to leave me. Um but I do want to do a new thing at the end of the podcast where we give our best song from the record, our worst song, and a rating out of 10. Oh, I like this. A nice little closer. Okay. Who wants to go first? I can go first if you need time. Nah, I think I've got it. Okay. I think I've got it. Best song, Love on Top. Yeah. Worst song, and this is kind of funny because it's the top and tail of the album on streaming. Worst song, I Was Here. Okay, got you. Uh, what about a, and a rating? Yeah. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. That's good. Double four. Yeah. Four More stars. More good than bad. More good than Great. bad. Yeah. Thank you. Um. Okay. So the best <laughs> song I'm going to say is. It's a real like flip up for me. Love on top. Countdown. I care. I miss you as well. Um. Whoa. I'm going to go Countdown, and I'm also going to go Worst Song I Was Here. Absolute dribble. Yeah. <laughs> I was nervous. I was nervous saying that, but now I'm no. so glad that you're laughable. Because it's not laughable. very good, is it? And the only not song that Beyonce good. didn't have a co-write on, on the record, it was Diane Warren, who has written a lot of dribble oh, in her queen. time. Yeah. Diane Warren, who look, who the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell lookalike. <laughs> she Diane really Warren. does. <laughs> Identical women <laughs> Oh my god <laughs> Alright well that was a great episode oh, I think that Really intelligent <laughs> Really thoughtful conversation And Absolutely. you're welcome And we're back we'll do, another, we'll do another one next week I think Yeah I'm gonna put Yeah you that on sounds tape good um, Yep yeah, no I like that idea We've got some very good shows coming up There's some really cool albums we're going to dive into <laughs> Albums you probably don't expect as well But albums that you probably loved Back when they came out I would um, love for you sure to you tell me follow about on Spotify <laughs> What? <laughs> I would love to know what those They're albums on are list. We have a list guys We've got a list here <laughs> I think I know what I want to do next week But I'll tell you off there Okay um, yeah, make sure you subscribe on, Spot- on on Apple Podcasts and rate and also follow on Spotify. And yeah. have a lovely week. See you, by See you. What? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> okay. In English, goodbye. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.